O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, give us grace seriously to lay to heart the great dangers we are in by our unhappy divisions. Take away all hatred and prejudice and whatever else may hinder us from godly union and concord, that as there is but one body and one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, so we may be all of one heart and of one soul, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and charity, and may with one mind and one mouth glorify thee. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for being here. You know, really, I just wanted to talk to you today briefly, just taking a step aside from, from world religions. We're about to finish that. Um, but today, because the season's changing, it made sense to, to me to talk about seasons, because a lot of us don't really know. Seasons and colors. And Jim heard this like maybe three weeks ago, so correct me if I'm wrong here. And uh, also trying to get too bored. <laughs> so today is actually the last day, the last Sunday of the church year. Um, the church new year begins next week with Advent. And I can't really give you an exact calendar, but time is measured, as many of you know in the church, not cyclically, but sort of as a coil. So we do these movements, you know, these similar movements every year. A lot of us like to think that time is completely unique, so that what happened yesterday and last year has no bearing on what happens this year. And of course, that's just a little bit silly, isn't it? I mean, really, you think about our national holy days, our holidays, and, 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 and sure enough, like we live in this rhythm, especially if you've had children or you've been a child, either one, you sort of know that there's just rhythms of living, right? And this is one of those exciting rhythms of life because even though the days are growing shorter, which is tough if you're a kid, there's Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, boom, 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 right? I mean, kids are, 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 are hardwired into this even if they're Jewish kids that there's Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. There, that it is. I mean, this is part of our national culture, right? So in the, in the Eastern uh, religions, time, sometimes we think of as just being cyclical. And the, the, the Greco-Roman mindset is this. And actually, the Jewish mindset is that there are natural rhythms, even though time is... Uh, progressing is the wrong word, because that sometimes makes us think everything's getting better. Of course, it just means that things are changing, but there's a rhythm two things, right? Hope that's helpful. So um, just to give you a mark then of how we do it, next week begins, oh, I should do it in blue. Next week begins the Christian year with Advent, right? And Advent, oh, wow, this is not going to be good. Can you see that at all? Uh, let me try a black one. Yeah, that's why I was using those little charts, and I hate, just hate to be unsustainable, but is that better? So we'll just not worry about color because there's something funny about Advent anyway. So there, there is. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's, it's really strange. Um, let me just chart up here for you what, what goes on, right, so, so that we kind of know. And I'm intentionally drawing these a different way. Um, sometimes there's a variable. Certain seasons are variable as to how many weeks they go. Okay, um, the ones that never vary are Advent. It's always four weeks, always before Christmas. Some people will push Epiphany back so that they only do Christmas one Sunday. We're going to talk about this in a second. Um, then, of course, you know, after Epiphany, we have the really big one of Lent, and we always know that's fixed as well. The, the, the variables in the circle that I'm going to draw you 
and that's why I didn't just bring the chart that's made in the godly playroom. Um, the variables in the circle are always how long Pentecost is and how long Epiphany is. And I'll tell you more about that in a second. Now, we're really big into having patterns in the church, and they go in colors. And you know, not all churches operate in the same pattern we do, even if they use colors. So I'll just tell you, for example, that ours and the Roman Catholics are the most similar, but if you're Methodist, if anybody grew up Methodist, just out of curiosity, the Methodists will use red a lot more than we do, right? The Methodists will use red for all of Epiphany, whereas we'll only use it on the day of Epiphany, and then it goes to green, okay? So, again, there's a lot that's cyclical, and I can't even draw enough triangles in here, but imagine that there's something like 27 of those. Okay, well, let me just start in here with this then. So, Advent is the beginning of the church year, and Advent really means coming in Latin, right? And we all know who's coming, or we're supposed to, Santa Claus. Uh, actually, <laughs> it's supposed to be Jesus. Now, many of you know that Advent color is blue, right? Blue is the liturgical color. A lot of churches don't have blue. They have purple, which is the color for Lent, so they can double use it, right? Turns out, according to some color research that I read, that 30 generations ago, human beings couldn't perceive blue as a color anyway. So this is a relatively new evolutionary discovery that human beings can see the color blue as blue and not as another color. That sounds really strange, doesn't it? I mean, it seems really hard to believe, but the perception of blue as its own thing is like 1,100 years old, maybe? Well, of course people have seen the sky, but I think the category of blue is a different thing. You know, there's interesting, like there's some color blindness to different colors. So what did it look like? I got to revisit that lecture. I only listened to it like three weeks ago. This was a, a lecture on how colors affect you that I was listening to, and, and that was the audacious claim. As a result of us being able to perceive it, though, blue is pretty much everybody's favorite color because of water and sky, even though blue foods are pretty much always poisonous and people don't like them, right? So, so these colors, colors do strange things. Okay, maybe I shouldn't tell you too much about color theory, but what I will tell you is that Advent is meant to be blue, okay? And part of the reason being is that blue is a color for royalty. I mean, purple is too, so a lot of churches use a purple set. My last church, in Coronado, uh, which, and by the way, you can kind of tell if a church has blue, a blue set, and a purple set, usually they have a little bit higher sense of liturgy. I know this sounds really strange, right? But, but the garments are darn expensive. So for people to have the two sets when they only have to have one means they put some value in it. You know they really have some sense of um, high liturgy when they have the rose set. <laughs> Because that's a garment you can wear exactly twice, exactly twice a year, um, only on two Sundays. And I'll tell you about that in a second. So Advent is really all about coming. And, of course, we know, as I said, it's, it's, it's Christ that's coming. And blue is the color. And blue is the color of royalty. Because blue, like purple, the only way that that could be made in the ancient world was by 
extracting the ink sac out of a particular crustacean that grew off the coast of Tyrae. Now that may not sound exciting to you, and you can get a lot of these barnacles and do that extraction and get about a drop of dye. I mean, Polly's wearing a very bluish purplish shirt today, right? And the only person who legally would have been allowed to wear that shirt was the queen. It would have been against the law for any other person to wear that color shirt. That's why bishops wear it today still, as a sign of their class. Does, does that make their social class? In Roman times, right, the, the, the Caesar would have worn purple. If you were a member of the Senate, you also would have been allowed to wear a purple fringed garment as if you were a knight. If you didn't have a royal title, it didn't matter how much money you had, you couldn't wear the clothes or you'd been impersonating an officer, right? So these, these colors, both in Lent and in Advent, purple and blue, again, the, the, the goal is to convey the expense of the season, right? So in Lent, it's the expense of getting ready for Easter and the death of Christ on Good Friday. In Advent, it's really about this focus of royal birth and the effort that we go to to celebrate that birth. Does that, does that make sense? Now, in Advent, as in Lent, there's this other little thing here that is called Rose Sunday. It happens in Advent on the 3rd, and in Lent, it happens on the 4th, and those are fixed. Right? So even though the date, it might be in March or in April, the date might be different. The third Sunday of Advent is always Rose Sunday, and um, the fourth Sunday of Lent is also always Rose Sunday. In low churches, if you grew up in the South, that's sometimes called Refreshment Sunday, particularly in Lent, because Lent is this, this time typically where you give something up. The color purple is actually very solemn and kind of depressing psychologically. So this is a reminder of the joy in all of that. Like you, you, you're really, you're giving something up or it's a hard season, it's difficult contemplation, but be refreshed in your Lenten journey. It's all for the best. The same in Advent, right? Particularly if you use purple. Oddly enough, blue is not a depressing color at all. It, um, it makes people eat more food <laughs> and it stimulates creativity, which actually probably makes sense that it's in Advent, right? Um, to, to, to me, it does. You've maybe heard this thing that cool colors make people eat less food, and that's completely wrong. The color that makes you eat less food is red. So if you have red cups, you know, you've been to those places all you can drink refills, the cups are pretty much almost always red um, because psychologically people drink less. Also because the dish machine can't get the lipstick off of it, so I think it conceals it. You can do this, take a napkin and wipe the inside of that cup, and you will find what the dish machine could not get off of there. Yeah, so eating on red plates and wearing red clothes, that's, that's a decent diet attempt, right? Painting, <laughs> painting your dining room red. We usually think warm colors eat more. No, red means stop. It's an evolutionary response hardwired in human beings. Red means stop, whatever you're doing. Okay, anyway. Rose, on the other hand, doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean stop a little bit less. Rose is this nice color. Okay, anyway, so, so this is what we do in Advent. And Advent has its own thing that's, that's come around traditionally, which is the wreath, you know. And the wreath is something that you're going to see. It, um, it, has, it has four sort of pillar candles, right? And it has room in the middle for the Christ candle. 
And the idea is that these, these candles are really meant to guide us as we celebrate the season into contemplation. They're pretty, and the greenery, of course, is a pagan holdover for fertility in the middle of winter. But um, the real idea here is that you've got the following virtues. Love, hope, joy, of course, right, which is the rose, and peace. And so the way that one would use the, the Advent wreath would be during the first week, you only light the first candle, and you can do that at home or in church contemplatively. We used to do it at dinner, and then we weren't eating at home enough to really make sense of it, so we're going to try again this year. But you would do love, and the second week you would light both the love and the hope candles with the idea, right, that without love there can't be hope. And without love and hope, there can't be joy. And without love, hope, and joy, there cannot be peace. Mm. This is a really, really old idea. And again, a way of sort of guiding us into this, into this rhythm. You'll hear some about this in the sermon today, right? But um, part of what's supposed to happen every year, if we're honest, is our recognition that we need a Savior. And I just can't think of a better, you know, Whatever it is in your personal life you might feel like you need salvation from, right, whether it be sickness or debt or whatever it is, right, nationally, golly, we sure could use some salvation nationally, right, because there's a lot of tension. However you view whatever side you're on, the, 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 the fallout on social media before the election was smaller than it was afterward. <laughs> uh, so, wow, that's really tough. You know, that's really tough. And I think we sure do have a sense. I'm hoping we have a sense individually of our corporate need for a Savior this year. You know, there's, there's things that we apparently need salvation from, especially if you're female and a professional, right? There's language you need salvation from. You might have thought you had it and you were wrong. You get what I mean? So there is a rhythm to this. And next year, it might not even be national politics. It might be something like natural disaster. But the truth is, there pretty much is usually something that we could use some deliverance from. Okay? So Advent is trying to prepare us. You know, typically today, this is the last Sunday of the church here, Christ the King. We're confronted with the fact that the way that we run the world is not the way that Christ the King would, in fact, run the world. And that means we've got work to do. So, you know, when, when you're going to have a baby you get ready for it. You, you do things like you buy baby wipes and a car seat without which you can't even take the child home from the hospital. You, you have a crib, you paint, you decorate, right? And the idea of this wreath is that we start to decorate our lives and our corporate lives, not with baby wipes. Jesus won't need those this year. He's done that. Instead, uh, he'll need a ready welcome of love, hope, joy, and peace, right? So that his arrival on Christmas Day, he finds a ready welcome. The thing is, he's coming either way. <laughs> he's coming either way. And Jesus can put up with a poor welcome. In fact, he did that when he was put in a food trough when he was born. But the whole point of the season is to be aware and ready. I think. Advent is hard for us, though, because, you know, Costco put up the Christmas stuff in September. Um, <laughs> And, and, and your priest has put up a Christmas tree at the end of the hallway, mainly, I mean, the point of the tree really is to create this for some other people in our community, but still, it just, just gets confusing, right? We went from Halloween decorations to Christmas ones and, and nothing in between. 
Christmas, you know, is 12 days long, so it really is always going to occupy two Sundays, no matter what day of the week it falls on. And the 12 days of Christmas, that song that you learned when you were a kid, some people say it's like a code cipher for um, teaching people different instruments of the faith, you know, like the three turtle doves or the Trinity. I don't know if that's true. Sometimes I think that's wishful thinking. It could be true. You never know. Sort of like Ring Around the Rosary. You might have learned that's about the Black Plague, but I read it's not. So, I, you know, and I didn't read that on WikiLeaks. Like, I'm not sorry. I just don't know. I don't know what to think about it. But Christmas, sure enough, is 12 days long, and it's white. Anytime there's a high holy day, high holy day, including things like All Saints right, which shows up in here, that's going to be a white Sunday because it's really meant to be dedicated to the light of Christ, okay? So what happens on Christmas Eve, we do it early in church, naughty of us. We're not supposed to do it till Christmas Day. We also light that very biggest candle in the middle of the Advent wreath, which is the Christ candle. And then you see those 12 days of Christmas, we maintain the wreath with the white candle lit as well. By the way, it, when you get bored with this, just tell me if there's anything else I can adjust, you know. Um, but that's why we do it, because this hopefully is going to be helpful for somebody. Um, Twelve days of Christmas, there it goes. You know, what's interesting about Christmas is that December the 25th is the big white day, but December the 28th, that's just three days away, is actually a red day. We're rarely ever in church on the 28th, and if we are, people really are kind of loath to celebrate this red day. It's called the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And that would be when Herod had all of the children under three slaughtered, trying to get Jesus, right? So that's actually the first real <sighs> martyrdom day in the church calendar that's, that's of severity, right? Holy Innocence. So sometimes you've heard there are Episcopal churches called the Holy Innocents, and, and, the, and those are their patron saints, children who were killed because they might have been Jesus. Our paternal saint, St. Thomas, he falls on December the 21st. All right, so that would be another red day. Red is a color that we use. You know, I think we do this really poorly when we say it represents the blood of the martyrs instead of the light of the martyrs. Martyrs are people, thinking about Red's evolutionary response about stopping, they're people who are really are telling empires and principalities and powers, stop. And for that reason, they got martyred. <laughs> we don't wear red very much. In fact, we wear red in, in the Episcopal Church about as often as we wear rose. The first time we wear red is Epiphany, and it's red, red, not pink. You'll see it today. The reason we have red today is because the bishop has asked for it because we're doing confirmation. And people going through the rite of confirmation, ordination is another one, when people are ordained priests and deacons, it's red. Again, it's a sign of, of stopping, <laughs> right? Stopping and changing. Red is the Feast of the Epiphany, right? And Epiphany is one of those Greek compound words, which means to make manifest upon. And, and of course, if you read Portrait of the Artist of the Young Man, did anybody read that? James Joyce? I had to read it in high school English. He's the one who made the, the word epiphany more mainstream and less religious. So for James Joyce, an epiphany was an aha moment. 
You know, it could have been you were working really hard on the disk and washer method, and then you learned the power rule and the ability, to, you know, to find area under a strange curve in calculus, and then you just understood how to do that, right? The disk and washer method, you might have been beating your head against the wall because once you're on the power rule, why would you ever do that again, right? I mean, you never will. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. Really? I kind of remember how to do it, even though I don't really w remember why it works. I sure do remember how to do it. I mean, that's the kind of thing, right? You, you know, or, or Epiphany might have been when the first time you had Cool Ranch Doritos and you realized the world was bigger than you thought, right? I mean, it wasn't just about nacho cheese. You could have that, right? Um, thank you. Okay. So, so there's lots and lots of epiphanies, some of them more jarring than others, according to James Joyce. But really, before James Joyce was writing that in 1916, um, epiphany was a church that meant you encountered God, and the way you looked at the world was forever changed. Right? So you think about some of those kinds of epiphanies. They happen in the Bible, right, where Joshua is walking outside the, the walls of Jericho, and he encounters the commander of the Lord's army. And who commands the Lord's army, do you think? Please don't tell me the Archangel Michael. Please do not tell me that. The commander of the Lord's army is God. Joshua sees God and says, which side are you on? And God says, no one's. <laughs> That's one of those epiphany moments. Now take your shoes off, Joshua, and he does, right? This is one of those things. An epiphany might have been that time you realized God actually wasn't really hoping to send you to hell. That was an epiphany moment for me. I mean, I actually had to discover that. <laughs> it took me like 20-something years to do that, right? So a, a, epiphany is all about that moment. And of course, what it celebrates is the wise men, is what we call them, who most likely weren't kings, more than likely were Zoroastrian priests. That means they were from Iran. They were magicians and astrologers. And they come looking for Jesus because even though they weren't Jewish people, they saw his sign in the heavens. I mean, really, that sort of saying to us, a reminder, those people that we think are outside of the religion and are heterodox and blasphemers, they might actually have a better pulse on God in some ways than we do. Right? And, and, and Epiphany invites us that God's world is much bigger than ours. We celebrate that every year because, remember, these people didn't convert to Christianity. They just came and gave him some gifts. We don't know what happened when they went back to Iran. We do that every year. And then what we do, see, having just learned that, that these people have followed Jesus and really they've, hit, they've sort of hit this, this stop button and, the, and, and their light now is full of this sort of light, uh, we then turn to green. And I don't have a green marker. But green is really meant there for us to grow now. So to contemplate, what's our epiphany from the birth of the Christ child this year? What does he represent from us? And then how can we grow into it the rest of the epiphany season? Does that make sense? And, it, you know, there's that famous hymn. Uh, I could look it up. But it, um, never mind. Okay, so epiphany has these sort of moments, and they're pretty set. Right after the wise men find him, we celebrate the baptism of the Lord. And that, of course, ends up being what color do you suppose? <laughs> White in an otherwise green season, right? Because that's one of our two major sacraments, right? And so we're designed, 
the, 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 the lectionary is asking us to consider, but why would Jesus do that? And why do we continue to do that? How does that make God manifest in our lives? Which is going to be different in 2017 than it was in 2016, even if only subtly, because we've changed over the years. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, and so that's what we do. Of course, that has to do with John. We go all the way through Epiphany, which this year will be slightly longer because Easter is late. Now, you know, Lent is basically, is based upon when Easter happens. And you might be thinking, it's whenever Passover is, and that's completely wrong. It used to be whenever Passover was, but um, people decided that really they should base it on, on the, uh, the equinox instead, so that's what they do. The Greek Orthodox has a different Easter than the Western Church does, because we just can't get along about that. In fact, um, when to put Easter was one of the reasons the Roman Church split from the Eastern Church. The dating of Easter and that little phrase in the Nicene Creed, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father, that's where they're stopped. And we add, and the Son. And you know the background on that is the Pope in Rome decided he could add that phrase without having an ecumenical council. And they said, we think you've gone too far, and that was the split. When Easter is, and those three words in the creed. So anyway, because the equinox happens at different times, which is based on the lunar calendar, as is Passover, again, we've chosen not to align ourselves with Passover, and that would have been the first Easter. That's why you have a variable time for the Feast of Easter. Okay? And once that gets set, right, then that says, well, then we need to go backward six weeks for Lent. Six Sundays, right? Always six Sundays. And you know the big one here is on the Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday, right? Ash Wednesday is the day on which you can wear black, if you'd like, vestments. Now, 